to another episode of I'll Be There For You, a podcast about pop culture and coping. I'm your host slash producer slash snack mom, Lindsay Ennett. And each episode, I bring in a funny or interesting or otherwise rad person to talk about a piece of pop culture that got them through a difficult time in their lives. Why am I doing this? There are like a bazillion pop culture podcasts. I know, I know, I know. I really love talking to people about the things that they love and about what gets us through difficult times when the world is literally on fire. My guest today is the very talented and amazing Rosamund Lannan. Rosamund is a writer, a storyteller. She has written for Lifehacker slash film. Vice, uh, Extra Crispy. Where else have I written for? Uh, speculative fiction. Most recently, speculative fiction for Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet, which is a speculative fiction literary journal. That is super cool, and we're going to link to that in the show notes. Uh, Rosamund is also the co-producer and co-host of a monthly live lit show here in Chicago called Misspoken that yep. focuses on uh, stories, usually humorous, uh, from women and non-binary tellers. Yeah, that's a great way of saying lady live lit by non-dudes, because we're always trying to find a nice way to say ladies or people who identify as ladies or... If you're comfortable identifying as lady, but yeah, uh, lady nonfiction personal essays by people who are not dudes. Cool, and uh, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, a bunch of other places online. If you're ever interested in coming out to the show or submitting, where can when does the show take place and where? The, uh, the show takes place on the last Wednesday of every month. Uh, so our next, and we have a different theme each month. Come on out to the Gallery Cabaret in Bucktown. Cool. And uh, what have you brought in to, to share with us today, Rosamund? I have brought in uh, two things, uh, a book and an album that got me through difficult, fairly consecutive difficult times in my life. Um, Blankets by Craig Thompson. Uh, Blankets is a graphic novel by Craig Thompson. And um, Nightbeat by Sam Cooke, which is an album. Cool. So blankets. So for those who are not familiar with blankets, can you give kind of the the cliff notes? Yeah, absolutely. So um, blankets is uh, it's a graphic novel by Craig Thompson. Actually, I mean, I think I got the album name wrong, which is really embarrassing. Uh, Sorry. So graphic uh, blankets is a. graphic novel by Craig Thompson, and it's about a young man who grows up in an evangelical Christian family, and uh, it's about him finding love, his first love, and what that means to him, and also breaking away from that evangelical Christianity. And I read Blankets. It's a big chunk of a graphic novel. It It is long. I don't remember how many pages this is, but it is beefy and beautiful. Um, which is a good quality in a burger and also mm-hmm. a good quality in a graphic novel. It's it's really beautifully illustrated. Uh, it came out in 2003, and I was 17 or 18 in 2003. And um, it really just, it's about a teenager. It was about someone who was around my age. And although, like, my background is very different from the guy in the book, I do not come from an evangelical Christian household, it was, it was really relatable to me. Um, just that kind of first love and what that means to you as a teenager, just like how, how overwhelming it is and how heartbreaking it is and how all your emotions when you're that age seem incredibly like huge and magnified and almost unbearable. And also kind of realizing how you're going to move on with your life. That was, it really hit me at the right time. It was, it was the right age. It was the right moment. I really love comics. I was just starting to get into um, independent comics, like comics that weren't Spider-Man or Batman and stuff like that. I was still slightly new to that. And 
that that combo was kind of a, a powerful punch. All of that. At, were graphic novels something that you had been exploring before you read Blankets? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up, um, I read lots of comics growing up. Again, did not grow up in an evangelical Christian household. My parents were pretty encouraging about that stuff. I come from an artistic, creative family. Though, although they're not evangelical, they could be pretty dysfunctional in some ways. Um, so in a way, I, I think that's what kind of, I was thinking about this, that's what helped me relate to the character in the book. We both came from dysfunctional families, just very deeply different types of dysfunction. But kind of back to your original question, um, I mean, my parents were great about like encouraging me to read, encouraging me to read comics. Uh, I'd read them, I mean, basically since I could read. Like when I was four or five, I started looking at them in the grocery store and I was fascinated by them. And as I got older, uh, my parents had copies of Mouse around the house. Um, oh my God, Mouse. Yeah, so I read that when I was maybe like 10 or 11. Um, and then they, they had this great publication that I think is Funny Times, which had stuff by like Dave Barry, um, and the K Chronicles and Linda Berry, not Dave Berry, Linda Berry. Sorry, Linda Berry. Um, but basically very different, <laughs> both funny differently. Uh, Linda Berry and the K Chronicles and like Zippy the Pinhead, which I really didn't understand, but I thought was really funny. And so, yeah, I definitely grew up reading comics and I love superhero comics a lot too. A lot too. Um, I really loved Batman, the animated series, the cartoon. And so which yes. to, um, it was so good, right? It had that Danny Elfman soundtrack. Oh my God. I could, I can still watch it. Um, but it, that led to the weird side effect. Like the Mask of the Phantasm era. It's fantastic. It's so good. Um, I love Batman the Animated Series. And which led to the weird side effect of I, for a long time, maybe 20 years, I would read pretty much every Batman comic regardless of quality. Um, and it really varied. There were some great Batman comics and there were some ones where I was like, why do I keep buying Batman comics? Um, but yeah, I'd always read comics, I loved superheroes, I loved the indie stuff, but I think in my teens is when I started to really get into the indie stuff. I, I used to see that it, was like, it wasn't just like superheroes or lefty political stuff, there was something even more. Like I started to read Sandman, I really loved the Vertigo line, Vertigo R.I.P., that was DC Comics' alternative line. And um, eventually like, I moved even beyond like, the alternative mainstream lines to really more indie stuff, like Los Brothers Hernandez, and um, Craig Thompson. So, yeah, it's funny because sometimes the things you love, you don't remember exactly how you found them. I do not remember how I found Blankets. Like, maybe I read about it. Like, maybe I just saw it at Chicago Comics. It's got a really pretty cover. But I read it, and it just it just hit me right in the gut. It was a very – it felt like it was just made for me, even though, again, our circumstances were very different. I feel like that's a recurring theme that's happened on this show where you – the media, whether it's music or literature or film, that you find in your teen years, and it feels, even if it was created or is about something that's wildly circumstantially different than what you're going to do, but it feels like it was made for you. Absolutely. And I think that's a great, it's interesting, because I think there's a lot of talk these days, in a good way, about how producing better media and seeing yourself in the media, which is absolutely should be the case. But I think there's something like really powerful and amazing in the fact that, like, you can find yourself in media that was not meant for you. Like, I love horror movies, too, and they're not kind to women. But, like, I feel like you can find a lot. Like, also, if you really want, you know, woke media, like, well, you're going to do a lot of sifting because there's, there wasn't a lot produced. But I think that's magical. But, like, you can get what you want and what you need and reinterpret it in your own way. Like, I'm not a dude. I didn't come from an evangelical family. Being a woman is a much harsher experience as a teen than a man, but I, I still, oh God, his story about first love and like, you know, just the agony of it, it hit 
like and just that t- those tumultuous emotions you feel as a teenager hit really close to home what was kind of going on for you at the time when you were fr- like walk walk us through that experience of first reading blankets and of making those connections and I mean I was a pretty big hot mess when I was 18 like most people Uh, I didn't know who I was I didn't really have a handle on my anxiety or depression I didn't even know if that's what I I've been going to therapy since I was 14 but I don't think I really had a handle on like the extent of how deep some of that went and I I acted accordingly (laughs) I made a lot of decisions based out of being terrified or just not even well, well fell out, honestly, just like pure impulse. Dude, yes. It's so real. Like, I think my brain was just a clattering mess of nightmares, and sometimes occasionally a decision came out of it. Um, I would also also not make decisions, then they got made for me. Like, it, it was just, I think being 18 and being a young person is really hard in, in, any, in any era. The, you know, the, the scenery kind of shifts, but I think just that pure, I was horribly self-conscious about the way I looked, um, I didn't really like myself very much. I'll stop with the sad sack train in a second, listeners. Um, I had like no visible self-esteem. Uh, I, I had a boyfriend in high school who was really lame and dumped me. I mean, like it just, it was kind of coming off of that. Yeah. I, I just did not really know my place in the world or even know one, one foot in front of the other. And I felt overwhelmed by hormones and emotions all of the time. Uh, <laughs> that guided a lot of my decisions too. And when I read it, I mean, this was a character who was also really expressed like just how rough being that age is um, and how adults are sometimes good, but are not always good. Um, But I don't think I was conscious of that at the time. And just also like how much of a drug falling in love is, Um, but also whatever. It's not a spoiler. It's been out for like 14, you know, 15 years, 16 years. Like he falls out of love for very normal reasons and like moves on and his life gets better. And for me, like, I just remember crying reading it because it was like kind of a, it's okay. It's going, it, it can be okay. Also the art is like really beautiful. Uh, that, that first love. I mean, I think you described it so well, just when you're 18, 17, 18 and just in that time in your life, everything happens so loudly. Yes. Loud is a perfect way to put it. It's like, it feels like everything's this giant crashing wave. And if someone breaks up with you, it feels like the end of the world. And if someone is interested in you, it feels like the world's just beginning. And it's even without bad self-esteem, I still think there's that insane intensity of emotion that I think is just, I'm, you know, you wonder how you survive it Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. And through, I mean, through blankets, I realized you can survive it. I mean, that's not to say I went on and suddenly made great decisions going forward. That would still take a few more years, but like, it's a process. It's a, it's a process, but it made me feel really seen. It, 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 it was very, it's very autobiographical, but I think the author Craig Thompson is very kind to his younger self, kind, but not, but shows his flaws as well. It was interesting. Like it, it's a really like, Still, I still think it's a really layered and interesting work where to grow as a person, he needs to move away from that relationship. And that's something that, I, you know, I really, really needed to hear. Again, did it take? Not exactly. But I have to think mm-hmm. that, like, the seed got kind of planted so that, like, it was showing a good example of, yes, what you're feeling is so real and so true. But also, you're allowed to change and grow as a person. And that relationships aren't necessarily, there's a lot more than just he loves me, he loves me not. Exactly. Like there's, it's 
love and relationships aren't necessarily a hard binary like that sometimes. Absolutely. There, there's like both like great beauty in it and it's, it is okay to keep moving and evolving as a person and you still might have some feelings and you might, things are messy. It's okay for, it's okay. For, it acknowledges kind of the messiness of relationships. And I think not just in his like romantic relationship, but that is kind of the crux of the graphic novel. Some other relationships are tough and difficult too. Um, he has a really rough relationship with his parents, which although for deeply different reasons, I really I identified with pretty hard struggling with these people who love you in their own way, but you have deep differences with them and how you approach the world. In his case, that's evangelical Christianity. In my case, that's something different that I'm not going to go into, but just that kind of, that struggle, you know, like relationships are messy could be the thesis, the thesis of blankets. All relationships are messy. Absolutely. And I, I think everything is relationships. If it's not romantic, it's everything is some kind of relationship, but I feel like he treats the subjects in it with like both respect but also like reality kind of a thing. Also, he just nails high school really well in it where you're like, just feel like, oh God, this like there's party scenes in it where you're like, yep, this feels, this feels correct. And just that agonizing feeling of feeling like you don't fit in and wanting so desperately to be cool mm-hmm. and wanting to like be with someone cool because maybe they'll make you cool and wanting to be loved and understood. And like, I mean, getting hormonal, you want to be touched so badly. There's all that wild combination and like he doesn't make fun of it but also is like it's respectful but real i think especially with things like party scenes it could be so easy to just absolutely lampshade it i think about like the party scene from 10 things i hate about you oh man i love 10 things i hate about you oh my god that could be its own episode yes it's so good it's like Definitely. mac and cheese and movies for me it's so good oh my god but it's not realistic though right like it lampshades it a lot but just getting to that like crushing feeling of like I do not want to be here right now. I want to be on my couch watching VH1, but I can't leave because then it's going to alienate me from... Right. Just the pure agony of being in social situations and, like, the things you do. Like, maybe you hide under a table, which I think he does in the book. Like, literally goes under a table. And, or maybe, in my case, when I was a teenager, I was like, hmm, alcohol makes me confident. P.S. Don't, that doesn't work no. long, long term. But like everyone has their, again, differences from the main character, but like really understanding that like you're reacting to this kind of like pressure cooker of high school and everyone's striving to like be cooler like than they, re- than, than they really are. I think one time I was at a house party in high school and everybody was like drinking and smoking weed in the basement. And I just like went upstairs with the host's parents and watched like whatever whatever like movie from the 70s they were watching with them because i was like i i don't want any of this i kind of like it's interesting i kind of took the opposite tack but i will say that it was for similar reasons like you kind of instead of realizing what you want or don't want you do something like maybe you go hang out with their parents maybe or the dog or the dog um maybe you drink a, a beer drink drink beers until you feel cool like they kind of both have the same effect of just feeling like i feel alienated like i don't feel comfortable with myself i don't want to be here you just handle it differently you need like a crutch you need a crutch and i think they're both kind of crutches in their own way it's like do you want to take crutch column a or crutch column b and it's also interesting because now that you're saying this like i don't know any high school Schoolers, cool high schoolers listening to it, everyone is reacting to the same stuff. They're just taking taking different paths with it. Yeah. Listen, teens. 
Hey teens. Hey teens. Listen up. Everyone has, and come back to blankets. Um, it, it was, it also kind of, it, there's also this underlying thing in it, again, kind of a spoiler, but uh, he, there's a theme of sexual abuse in it as well as children as part of it. And um, although I didn't experience that, I knew, I mean, everyone knows people who have and everyone is aware of that. Like it felt really good and important to read that in a comic about growing up and like just something that handled it really well. It felt, this is going to sound corny, but it was like weirdly like nourishing to hear like big important stuff that really does happen talked about in a real non-judgmental way. And you're like, wow, okay, this is how you, it was very therapeutic. Totally. That kind of working through of like seeing someone, how people work through, or in, in some cases don't work through like childhood trauma and stuff like that. And there's a million ways to do that. So what what would you say your relationship with this work is like now? So I haven't read it in a while. Um, it used to be something I would kind of page through every few years. I think it's interesting. So I'm 33. Uh, it's interesting to look back on stuff and not see yourself as the teen character in it. Like that's something that kind of continually blows my mind where I'm like, oh, now I would be the adult in that story. Or you identify way more with the adults. Um, like now, now that I'm thinking about it, like I think I would understand better what the adults in the story in the story were trying to go through, um, like raising a child or doing this or understanding like some of the like socio political stuff that was going on that made some of the adults in the story so terrible. What with the evangelical Christianity or made them not understand it? I, I think I would just have more context. Not that I'd be more like necessarily. I think. I would still put myself in the in the narrator's shoes, but I would feel I would I would kind of see the whole picture more clearly. And also, like I kind of thought, like he could be like the the narrator and his girlfriend could be annoying even when I was like eighteen. <laughs> so I imagine I would think they were kind of annoying now too, just like in a very normal teenager kind of a way. On a previous episode, I believe on the Gilmore Girls episode, we were talking about you know growing up with the show and relating more to Rory initially and now the older and ground doms as we are uh, identifying more with Kelly Bishop's character the grandmother totally. yeah I definitely look at Laura I know this isn't that's not what I'm talking about but I definitely look at Lorelai and Rory differently um it, you're feel, it's it's made it I don't I think I still love blankets in a big way and I still think it's really important and I would actually still recommend it to like pretty much any teenager or you know young person or older person and I, I think it's interesting with everything that's kind of floating up with evangelical christianity it's kind of been floating up for a while i feel like it takes on new resonance mm-hmm. like i feel like it should be part of a thesis course on like understanding the roots of evangelical christianity in america kind of a thing i still think it's really important that's a long way of saying it. i still think it's really important mm-hmm. and it, it's accessible like it's it's very it moves along really well it's fun to read um there's good tension. It's interesting. Like it's emotional. It's, I don't know. It's, it's a good way to understand something. Putting it in, all into context in a not gawky way, like a, like a Jesus camp. Right. I, I think that's it. Like it's very, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not as campy as that. It's like very earnest. And I think it's very earnest. Um, but I think that it's kind of, I don't know. Um, it, it sheds a, a pretty clear light on its characters and I like a very it's very realistic it's very realistic it's more just like the day-to-day of like what is growing up in a house like that look like like what are the how can this turn out really wrong and like but again like I think it was so good for me because it's hopeful at the end like the narrator grows 
like he, you know, he breaks up with, with the girl who's his first love in a really normal teenager-y way. Like, I think they just stop writing to each other or something. Like, it's very normal. Like, it's not, it's almost like the normalness is almost more hard to read because you're like, yep, that's pretty much how things happen. And then he moves to a big city. He starts to study art. But then he gets these reminders of when he goes back home of, like, his parents don't believe in climate change and stuff like that. And, like, it's interesting. Like, he moves beyond it, but it's still it still kind of work. It still kind of affects who he is in in, in an interesting way. Well, and that sounds like have I convinced you to read blankets? You absolutely have <laughs> Are convinced you me. Go read blankets I am this? absolutely going to go read blankets you can now. Get it from the library, I think. Support your local libraries, friends. Support, support your local libraries. Are we going to talk about Sam Cooke? Yeah, let's talk about Sam Cooke. I frantically googled the name of his album because I was like, oh no, I got it wrong. It is called uh, Night Beat by Sam Cooke. Fucking love um, Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke's so good. Um, and I started listening to it, uh, this is kind of part two of Blankets. Uh, when I was like 19 or 20, I worked at Highland Park Public Library. I was in the audiovisual room or the AV room. I still have my badge that says AV room on it, so and I'm never giving it back. Uh, oh my gosh. It's so good. Um, but I worked in the AV room, and I really liked working there. It was, it was a decent job, and um, I didn't like hauling out from Rogers Park to the suburbs, but I did like the job. And... My, so we worked in the AV room, which meant we could play music. We could play whatever music we wanted, and oh boy, my coworker and I really abused that privilege. Um, we played, we had a game where we could see how many times we would play Night Beat on repeat until someone noticed, which no one ever did, because you're in a library, uh, until, or our boss would notice and gently tell us that we had to play something <laughs> else. And there was actually a rule that we had to play the new releases. Like, we had to, like, you know, a light rule. It was a gentle rule. But, like, there were, like, guidelines about what music we could play. And, man, we would play Night Beat, like, maybe six or seven times on loop because we just liked it so much. So, yeah, I was 19 or 20, still not much better from what I described five minutes ago. Uh, I was um, taking the metro to the suburbs for my job. It was my first summer by myself in Chicago. Um, I decided not to move home for some of the reasons outlined 20 minutes ago. Um, and it was my first summer, like, really on my own. Like, I worked two jobs. I paid my own rent. I, like, I was here on my own in Chicago. And my boyfriend had dumped me at the beginning of the summer, right after I made the decision to stay here. Oh, no. So it was kind of a rough kickoff to the summer. Was he a factor in your decision to stay? Oh, yeah, 100%. I wish I could say that's a really good point. Yes, I was totally staying for him. I was 100% staying for him. On one hand, I didn't want to, like, go... I didn't. I did want to stay here, but he was, like, a solid 50% of that, and then he dumped me at the beginning of the summer. It's okay. It turned out better in the long run. But it, it, So I was kind of, again, like, in a just, like, I'm just going to go to my two jobs in the suburbs. I'm going to come home. I'm going to go party at night. Like, just in this kind of raw headspace. And... Um, I felt like Sam Cooke has a really smooth, beautiful voice, and he sings about how hard life is, and I felt like he understood my pain. Although I am not African-American and do not work on a chain gang, I'm a middle-class white girl, I still, like, I felt like he just really got how hard life could be, even though life was not as hard for me as it was for him. What do you think it was about that album specifically that resonated with you? Um, It was the first Sam Cooke album I'd ever listened to, (laughs) so I had... I kind of knew who he was, I think, in a vague sense. Like, um, there were songs I'd heard him sing, like, on and off. Like, I knew who Otis Redding was. I had, you know, 
from like the popular hits. Like I, there were soul singers you just know through cultural osmosis kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Like you're like, oh yes, I am just aware of you. Right. Um, but we, yeah, uh, what was it about that album specifically? I don't think it was that album. I think it was just listening to, like, there's something about listening to an album in its entirety, which I like don't do as much as I should that like really gives you a sense of it. And it was very much about that place in time. Like where else do you have time to spin an album five or six times on repeat um, or even want to do that? And it, it just felt like the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, his songs are a lot about working and how hard life can be and parties and how great life can be. He's an amazing singer and that really spoke to me. And also he had a kind of a weird tragic life too, which I found out as well. And that made it interesting also. He also died super young. He did die super young. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he was 27, somewhere around there. But he, yeah, he, it was interesting. Um, so that was kind of the soundtrack of the Highland Park Public Library audiovisual room. And um, it made just, it, it was kind of a rhythm for like, you're going to get up and you're going to go to work and then you're going to do it again the next day. How do you think that having that as your soundtrack to that particular summer kind of translated into the rest of it? I feel like it kind of got me through. Like, it, he's really soulful. And, like, I needed something that was, like, really beautiful and soulful and hard-hitting to kind of keep going and getting up in the morning. And someone who, who really, you know, understood what, I mean, what it's... He never pretended that life wasn't hard. I think that's it. And he really leaned into it. And like, I wanted to, I could, I could not hear that enough. And I think so much of the pop music that came from that particular era did try to be deliberately sunny and deliberately like orientated to carefree teens. But then you, you know, have someone like Sam Cook who does not have, you know, provide any illusions about life Mm -hmm. and and yeah i also had another job that summer that was one block away from highland park public library um it is a i don't know if it's still around a children's boutique called white start it was terrible um it was a lot of highland park moms and i'm just gonna leave that one right there i grew up in deerfield and my mom is actually from highland park so uh so does that statement (laughs) ring true it yes Yes. Yeah, and for the record, like I want to acknowledge my privilege. It was not actually, you know, it was more just my boyfriend had just dumped me. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was still feeling pretty, not much better than I had at 18 about everything and kind of using relationships to step into that feeling. And um, I was working a lot. I think that's what I'm trying to say. I worked pretty much all the time. I just remember feeling kind of just like, again, just feeling kind of numb and like I'm just going to go to work. I'm going to go to my good job, which was the AV room, and then I'm going to go to my job I hate, which was right start, and put together a lot of strollers, um, and uh, answer questions from moms like, do you have any children? Because there's no way you could be that tiny if you had, which was one of the many things. That's um, wildly invasive to say someone. <laughs> and it was not the worst thing I heard there. Um, when I was interviewing there, uh, my boss, who was a lovely woman and very patient, started with, so... Do you have a thick skin? Because some of our customers have entitlement issues. That was like the first line of the interview. Yikes. And I lied and said I had a thick skin. And I don't. (laughs) A paper thin skin. Um, People I work with were super nice. It just, it was just a weird summer. Do you ever have kind of like 
like that kind of weird in between summer where you're kind of just pushing through it. Yes, I still have those. Last summer was definitely one of those for me. When you feel like nothing really much happens in your life, but you also when you're young, you really want something to happen. And like Sam Cooke kind of spoke to that too, like twisting the night away is like, that's the best party you've ever been to. Yeah, no, you're totally, you're absolutely right. Like, and I think summer is like prom for an entire season. And I think especially in, that's so real. I think especially in a city like Chicago, where we get like maybe three really good weeks of summer and everybody just banks so much on like hashtag summertime shy where explodes like the city explodes kind of yeah and it was like very exciting but also scary and exhausting in a way too so I'm like, eh, I don't there, have a boyfriend. and there's so much pressure to it to to quote uh gene from bob's burgers summer is awful there's too much pressure to enjoy yourself yeah, I think that's true. Silent Summer is my favorite season. Um, but I will not argue any of this. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard season to be in. I think there's pressure to enjoy yourself. And when you're young, everyone's like, oh, you should be out there having fun. And I was kind of like, no, I'm going to go to my two jobs in the suburbs and then hope that my really lame boyfriend will take me back, even though I, that's not a great idea. Um, yeah, it, it was it was interesting. Um, but there were great moments of fun throughout it as well. And I think like Sam Cooke was kind of like that whole album is kind of highs and lows and highs and lows. And um, it's not a grinding album. It's smooth and beautiful. But like, I, I think it kind of really felt like the soundtrack to working all the time. Back to the whole summer thing where it's a season that can be very elating and have these high highs, but it, like there's something really melancholy I think about summer. Absolutely, too. can we talk about this? Yes, like summer is like the most bittersweet, weird season for me, and maybe that's why I like it. Like I don't know, can I swear on this podcast? It's not about swear. Yes. Okay, it's like hashtag sad bitch. You know what I mean? Like that's why I love Lana Del Rey. There's like a weird. I mean, summer is like I, I don't know. You're gonna dread the season coming after it. Like when it comes to, it feels very like hazy and golden mm-hmm. and like never ending. And then when it starts to get chilly again, you know, there's that sort of giant serotonin drop of season change. So oh, absolutely. There's a huge bittersweetness to it. I think that is also what, like why I love it, but also, um, yeah. And it's also, I think supposed to be a time like now reflecting on it. Um, it's, you know, this time of like, in theory, carefree responsibility, but I didn't feel very carefree. Like it was like, I, like one time I got up at like, this isn't, you know, I got up at like 6 a or 4am or 5am because one of the metros didn't run that early. Oh no. And I like slept on a bench in the metro station because my job didn't start for an hour. And I, I couldn't, I didn't really have it in my brain to think of any ways to make my life better. I kind of just kept doing stuff and like, I don't know. It was like a weird and interesting contrast. There's an acknowledgement with that album and that feeling of there are going to be times when you're not creating or making the most of something and you don't have to put that pressure on yourself. And that's okay to just like, if all you did today was leave the house. And went to work and and came back again. That's fine. Sam Cooke knows real well about getting up and going to work and doing it again and doing it again and doing it again. And it also kind of made me in a good way, think about how, like, oh, people can do really horrible work and make really great things, mm-hmm. and it can even come from that really horrible work. I think, like, I don't know, maybe it was one of the first times I started seeing, like, work as something as an inspiration. Like, there were these two guys in Highland Park Public Library who I always thought were yelling at each other and, like, having a horrible argument, and they weren't. They were both just really old and half-deaf, 
and they were just yelling so they could hear each other. And just like moments like that, I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> like watching two elderly men just like bellow at each other in the lobby of the library is is kind of awesome. Like, I, I don't know, there, there were lots of like good moments like that that were interesting. Um, like drawing, drawing kind of inspiration from boring everyday grinding experiences. As a professional writer, do you still have... Yeah, that, yeah, that counts. You are. All right. Has your relationship to that album and that kind of sense of it changed? I don't know if I'm articulating this. Well. No, um, I still love that album. It's perfect and it's beautiful, and you should listen to it all the way through. I still really love it. I, if I had a life thesis, it was it would be drawing beautiful things from grinding everyday experiences. Because as we were kind of talking about before the podcast, you know, unless you come from means or have some other way of means in your life, you're going to have to go to work. And like, you might as well start thinking about like, what that means and what it is to go to work and like, what beautiful or interesting things you you can make out of that. And I mean, if Sam Cooke can make something beautiful out of working on a chain gang, then I challenge everyone to kind of look at look at what you do every day and have to do every day and, you know, kind of make something out of that. You're not going to be as good as Sam Cooke. I won't either. It's fine. But I mean, that kind of mentality of like people, people make songs and they write things to get through something. And I don't know, Sam Cooke kind of got me through. That is an absolutely beautiful, to, I, I like want to like have that on my wall. I'm like, an, I'm like an inspirational wood sign. One thing I always really like to ask people that come on the show is, what outside of popular culture do you do to practice self or community care? Ooh, um, what do I do? I take a lot of hot baths. <laughs> um, uh, I'm trying to think of good ones, not um, lay on my floor and stare at the ceiling. Um, there are no wrong answers. There are no wrong answers. Um, this sounds, okay, this is a roundabout answer. Uh, I try to keep up on the news in a healthy way. I read my, my New York Times daily briefing, and I make sure that no matter what my morning is like, I take five minutes to read that. I know that sounds like a very bizarre way to self-care, but I don't think self-care means shutting yourself out from what's going on in the world. I think it means taking time to like read it in a way that isn't a pile-up, digest it, and just think about it for a second. Um, read... I, at the beginning of, or at a certain point in 2016, for a while, like everyone, I think I was pretty, I was mainlining the news really hard, and that that worked out pretty poorly. Um, but I think being aware of what's going on in the world, being aware, and then stepping away from it, and then deciding what you want to do about it, is a way to feel kind of balanced in a world that makes me feel kind of unbalanced a lot of the time. I don't. I'm not doing it anywhere and go to constantly bowling me over. Like I need to be aware, but also again, like keep moving. So read a news briefing and make that your main source of news. That's really been helpful for me in the past few years. That is extremely helpful as someone who, also d- hot yes, as someone who also mains, mainlines the news usually by endlessly scrolling Twitter for an hour and letting oh, the overwhelm just That's like wash over some, me. I still do it sometimes, but I never feel good. It's like yeah. eating a, giant bag of news Cheetos. And I love Cheetos so much, but you know, they never really did me any favors. No. So think of it like your muesli brick of news. <laughs> muesli like brick. The cream of wheat of, of uh, news. Like it's not, it's not thrilling or sensational. Like 
but you kind of watch the world change around you. Like there's interesting things going on that are neither bad nor good. They're just kind of things are changing. And I think it's easy to be very overwhelmed with what's going on in the country right now, and, and understandably so. But like I, I think it's really would behoove us all to look at the broader picture. And feeling overwhelmed and worrying, while absolutely warranted, things are terrifying, um, can sometimes feel, and this is a thing I've talked a lot about in therapy, can't we'll recommend therapy. Can't recommend therapy enough. Therapy uh, also go to therapy. Everyone go to therapy. Even if you think you are deeply normal, which you probably are, everyone, th- therapy is great. Making time to regularly go to therapy. That's another self-care thing. Yes. I'll talk about therapy so fast. Yeah. Sorry, keep going. Or there are absolutely accessibility barriers. There are places in Chicago, and we'll put this in the show notes, that can help you find a therapist and like you find an affordable situation. No, but, but yeah, also, also many therapists will do a sliding scale. Yes. That is also something I know really well from being 18 to 22. Many therapists will do a sliding scale. Many. Yes. The thing we've talked about in therapy a lot is how oh worrying... God, I know. Sorry, I feel on. like Anna Gasteyer when she did like the NPR voice on SNL. Anyway. Oh, so good. So good. Anna Gasteyer is so slept on, but just that worrying can feel productive when it's not. But it's not. And I, I think the thing I told myself was that, you know, our terrible trash being wet president, which I'm totally <laughs> stealing from another podcast, um, stealing it Dubai Friday, which is uh, a Cards Against Humanity podcast. They call him our big wet president, and I love uh, it. Deadspin also uses the oh, big wet president great. a lot. Okay, so yeah. It's so good. When our big wet, I'm sure our big wet president will say six trillion real dumb, racist, awful things. I, it, it is not actually helping anyone for me to get outraged about every single one of them. I'd rather look to people that are doing the good work and see what else is going on in the world. And honestly, running the com- country like a really bad reality show, I, it, it is putting people in a constant state of emotional exhaustion, and that means you can't stand up. So y- y- I give you permission to you know, s- focus and curate the news that you listen to. And it doesn't mean putting your head in the sand. It means if you're going to be, if you're going to be an effective person who stands up to this, what's going on, that means not main, that means not putting it into your veins 24 seven. It's not doing anyone any good. And thinking about what you can do, like starting with, you know, starting with one thing, not right. everybody can. If you can't go to protests, that's fine. There's other ways to help. Um, and even pro- like, there's many ways to get involved. Um, maybe put this in the links too. Get, I mean, Get involved in local politics. It can be dusty and weird sometimes, but it's where everything starts. Um, there's focus on a couple of issues. There, there's ways to, con- again, it's all about concentrating and curating. And, you know, if there's things where you don't have a lot of money or you don't have a lot of time or you don't, you know, can't walk very far and uh, or have crowd anxiety and protests aren't your jam, there are organizations like Black and Pink, which will pair you with um, incarcerated LGBT person, and you can write letters to them, and that's huge. That's like showing someone that someone on the inside that you care and can advocate for them, and that's really cool. Absolutely, and you don't have to talk about anything of why they're in there. Like I had a incarcerated pen pal for a couple of years, and we just mostly talked about music and beer. Yeah, and I think that's something interesting, too. I think there's power in the arts and dreaming of a better world. And I think it's really, really almost critically important during times like these not to lose sight of that. Because the thing about about 
the arts is that they show you they show you that there can be a better world or even what the or can reflect the world. It gives you really important context in a really healthy way. So read comics, listen to music, introduce other people to it. Um, also make those things if that's what you want to make. Make those things. Like this isn't like yeah. There's there's this uh, this quote and I'm blanking on who said it. Uh, Henry Rollins, uh, that I really love. Uh, like, this is not the time to be afraid. This is punk rock time. You can be thunderous in your own life. This is what Joe Strummer trained us for. Absolutely. Rosamund Lennon, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks I am having, me. like, feelings from the, this <laughs> last um, exchange. But where can people find you and your work online? Oh, um, so I, I am on the internet most places at Rosamund. That's R-O-S-A-M-U-N-D. Much like the famous and beautiful actress, Rosamund Pike, who is not me, although occasionally I can tag this her on Twitter, and it's always a delight. Um, I am not Rosamund Pike. but I'm You are not in Gone Girl. I was not in Gone Girl. Um, I am blonde. I am not British. Um, but I am happy that her stardom has catapulted our shared name to a really good place. I'm like, great, now maybe people will spell it right. They don't. That's fine. But uh, you can find me on the internet most places at Rosamund, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I am on Substack, which I link to on my Twitter um, so yeah, follow me on Twitter. I think that's the best way to do it. Uh, Twitter is rough, but a good way to keep up with people, and that's where I'm going to post most of my writing. Uh, if you want to read the latest thing I wrote, I wrote about um, Life Hacker about how I learned to drive when I was 27. It has just as much feelings as this podcast did, but more oh. instructional tips too. It was I've read it. It was super helpful. Oh, good. Thank you, Rosamund. Uh, this has been another episode of I'll Be There For You. We post new episodes every other Sunday to help you beat those Sunday scaries. You can find the show on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your enemies about the show. Uh, like right, it's on, on Facebook. Tell yeah. Stra- yeah. Tell strangers on the bus. Tell strangers on the bus. Or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at IBTFYPod. You can also, if you're interested in being a guest or having feedback, you can send it to I'll Be There For You Pod at gmail.com. Thanks and uh, take care, everybody. Bye.